0: Love Talk Radio
1: This is our common ground Alternative Activist Empowerment talk radio Speaking truth to our And ourselves Who are you? You don't know? Don't tell me Negro That's not this
2: What were you before the white man Means you a Negro And where were you? And what did you have?
3: What was yours? What language did you speak then? I am a revolutionary.
4: This is about what we didn't do. Amen. Then
5: it speaks to us and the possibility for us as a future person. Because ultimately, our people's future resides on what we do outside of the White House.
1: African
2: descent fairly,
1: America failed.
2: She put
1: And now to Our Common Ground with Janice Graham.
4: And good evening and welcome to this sanctuary, Our Common Ground. I'm Janice Graham. This is Our Common Ground. Serious notations and deep thinking about the liberation of our people in America. Thank you so much for being with us here tonight on this Labor Day weekend. Um, We know that there is much work to be done on all fronts. Tonight at Our Common Ground, we're going to be looking at Black St. Louis, then and now. One of our guests, Dr. Tabiti Lewis, professor, scholar, and author, and you know him if you are an Our Common Ground regular. He is a native of St. Louis. And we welcome him back on our common ground to talk about his reflections as a native son uh, of uh, St. Louis, Dr. Tabiti Lewis, author of Ballers of the New School, Race and Sports in America, and a prolific race and gender... American African American literature presenter and professor. He is from St. Louis and he grew up in West and North St. Louis. And recently in response to the brutal killing of Michael Brown, he wrote an essay published by the St. Louis Post Dispatch addressing growing up in St. Louis from the perspective of his childhood and this tragic tragic event. If you have not read it, you can go to the St. Louis Post-Dispatch, the title, My St. Louis Then and Now, and we will be referencing it during the course of this broadcast. We'll talk with Dr. Lewis about his perspectives of its racial history and the hows and whys of the black community of Ferguson, Missouri, which is a suburb. We'll also be talking with, joining us in this broadcast tonight, is Mr. James Clark. He is the director of the Better Life Community Center of Metro St. Louis, serving youth throughout the St. Louis area, including Ferguson. We'll be talking with him uh, and trying to look through the lens of young people who will or will not, see our future as a people uh, in St. Louis. Also, we're hoping that in this broadcast, probably in the second page, Senator Jamila Nasheed, a Democrat who represents the 5th Senatorial District in the Missouri State Senate, she was born in St. Louis as well, where she currently resides. She was elected to the House of Representatives in 2005, and was sworn in in 2006 and served uh, until 2012 when she became a state senator. In addition to her legislative duties, Senator Nasheed is a member of the A-plus schools program. She also crafted legislation regarding the A-plus program, and we're going to be talking to her about both her legislative and um, about both her legislative initiatives and her community work. Uh, I do want to make a correction that uh, James Clark is the Vice President of Community Outreach uh, for the Better Life Community Center in St. Louis. And it's the Better Family Life, I'm sorry, I think a better family life is as, is as all encompassing because when you begin to work with family, you certainly begin to influence the total environment. We thank you for being with us, and if you'd like to join our chatters in our live chat room, you can come to blogtalkradio.com, backslash OCG, and we thank. Uh, to B.D. Lewis for hooking us up this afternoon, trying to get you as much information to understand where we are in Ferguson, in St. Louis, what Black St. Louis is all about, because it has a very, very rich history. Um, And... um, And and when we begin to understand that, if we see it through the lenses of people who are on the ground, people who have experience in how communities and neighborhoods work in this city, then we see ourselves, whether it be in Boston or New York City or Brooklyn or Los Angeles, whether it be in San Antonio, whether it be in Miami. We are so pleased to have all of you with us and As you know, we always begin this show by talking about becoming informed, and we're going to do some of that. Um, Though there has been a great deal of quiet in Ferguson and St. Louis County this week, there remains no peace. There remains no justice. A grand jury still sits out, and we know nothing about what is happening behind those doors or what this prosecutor is doing. We hope that we can talk with Senator Nasheed, uh, Nasheed and, and with Mr. Clark about this prosecutor and the initiative to attempt to get him removed and what who this governor is. So, Uh, A grand jury still sits, a murdering police officer remains at large, and he goes uncharged. That's where we are. Thank you for joining us, and let's get with it. Let's get ready to talk Black St. Louis.
2: I remember when St. Louis was fun. I remember you know, being able to hang out until 11, 12 o'clock at night. We used to race up and down the block and enjoy. This has been a, a community that has been ran down and it has been taken, a lot of things taken away. You know, one of the most dangerous cities in the world, you know, the hater capital where, you know, guys won't look you in your eyes. They say, if you can make it here, you can make it anywhere.
6: struggling and make some bad choices yes that's what kids do but other places have more support for those kids such that they can get beyond the mistakes that they make whether in high school or middle school in the city of st louis sometimes it's a death wish for you to make
2: some mistake. i'm just here to bring the hope back because that's one of the key things that's missing in the city you're not lacking pride you're not lacking capacity but you're definitely lacking in hope that nobody could get a hold to, you know, as far as discipline. She used to talk to me a lot, and then after a while, she just went her own little turn, like, in life, out the streets with her friends. I had just lost interest in helping precious period. But it was worse at school, because then people she didn't know, people that didn't care about it, people that, I
0: just didn't um, to school. And so it was like, they got the worst.
2: Well, I was forced out of the house because my mother like everybody else, mother in the neighborhood was on dope. And um, I guess my last Christmas at home, I didn't get anything. And uh, I went two doors down to a friend's house and cried or whatever. And uh, I saw my Nintendo down there. And people say, how do you know it's yours? Because I saw the fucking name, my name on the present. My mother saw all my Christmas gifts that my father bought. She sold them for crack. Not even on the same street. She didn't have remorse enough to go pawn him or nothing like that or whatever. At the grand opening, he was pleased to discover the staff decided to name the playground after him for his diligence. As I sat there sharing ideas with this young boy and the suburban kids, I could see more than just hope for St. Louis. I could see a generation dedicated to helping each other. No middlemen, no politicians, no hidden agendas. Just kids turning a dusty old vacant lot to a place where kids can intersect connect and play. We've watched it for many a years, and this is your time as somebody from this city take a stand and not wait for the government, not wait for the police, not wait for a third party to make a difference.
6: I think we have to be honest with each other. I think, number one, we have to be
2: honest to say what the real issues really are and put them on the table and then talk collectively about how we solve them. If we can make a small impact and then another
4: small impact, and another small impact, and continue to change the way people think and the way people
3: act.
2: And it's all in defined, it's like a puzzle, the light thing. Everybody has a specific place that they fit in.
1: People are finding this part of the St. Louis and saying, wow, I didn't know it happened. Uh, So it's it's a new day. It's a new day for our city, so I'm very hopeful.
2: This guy's creating a situation where I can live better off my marketing, off my distribution, off my, my my intellect, and off my looks.
1: You're listening to Our Common Ground with Janice Graham, transforming truth to power, one broadcast at a time.
4: Thank you for joining us on Our Common Ground. Tonight, we're visiting Black St. Louis, author, professor, scholar, Dr. Todd Ta- Bd Lewis is joining. Is joining us tonight, Dr. Lewis. Thank you so very much for coming back on our common ground. We welcome you and greet you with a great deal of love. Thank you.
6: Being part of the program again. Thank you for having me.
4: Well. You know, one of the things um, – by the way, congratulations on uh, coming out of the box on your piece, uh, then and now, your St. Louis, then and now. Uh, It was a great piece. It was good for us as we sit on the edges of our chairs uh, all across the country trying to understand just what the heck about this community. Tell us about the St. Louis that you know, that you understand through both your scholarship, you understand through your childhood, and you understand you you, you taught for a while in St. Louis.
6: Uh, Yeah. Um, Thank you for the opportunity to uh, share some of my reflections and ideas. Uh, Certainly, as these things were taking place and having conversations and being right here, um, at, this mo- at this moment it was very difficult to spin into the sort of um, you know an essay that would just sort of reflect this outrage but I just I really believe that there needed to be a sense of this is not an isolated moment um, There, there's a trajectory that has occurred and we all know that whenever we see things like this happen it is not just about st louis all right but you 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 asked me to uh talk about my childhood and in the essay much of what i was speaking about these notions of this very divided city where uh, you have the south side of the city that um is certainly thought of as uh where you know whites are inhabiting and the north side of the city where blacks are inhabiting and um, the county is certainly uh, for me in my childhood this space that one uh, moved into to you know for temporary visits it wasn't a place that um, that one thought about as you know this would be home and there was always this trepidation of what would be the interaction with the police uh, from the standpoint of do you, you don't belong here or do you belong here? And um, so those things impact you, even as an adult, whether you have a PhD, whether you're, you know, earning uh, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. good money. And, you know, I'm, you know, often even in this short, you know, in this recent return. You know, I may be we may be running late for for ice skating or tennis, and my daughters will say, "Why won't you speed up?" and and I just say, you know, and I, I I'm ref- I'm listening to them and I'm thinking, wow, you know, I'm really conditioned to make sure that I do everything to make certain that I don't you know uh-huh. run into any problems, and, um, and 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 there's no you know, and here I am at a, point in time where I know there's no issue of of insurance, license, registration, uh, you know, Uh any of these uh things.
4: But you're living in the shadows of a repress, of a uh, repression and repression of your, of your childhood.
6: Well, yeah, I think so. I think there's a large component. I mean, certainly um, always, you know, the willingness to step outside of my immediate environment, but a very clear knowledge that. Um that one is uh is an outsider in those spaces, and mm-hmm. so um while I certainly feel privileged and i don't feel uh inhibited at all i'm very mm-hmm. much aware of making certain that um you know I keep everything that I make sure that I, one takes care of that and so i 'm always I'm always conscious of well you know what what is what is the dynamic for someone who Maybe they don't have some of the privileges that I do, you know. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And so, uh, so, so you know, these things are very real. And so, as you just mm-hmm. as you just mentioned, uh, when people say, "I don't understand what's happening in Ferguson," well, then they must not be living in you know the world that we're all living in. And it's not just about Ferguson, St. Louis, mm-hmm. Ferguson, Missouri. It, this mm-hmm. is nationwide, you mm-hmm. know. And I think what, what, what you see when people's anger. Is a is a response to a Trayvon Martin and, and you know uh, many other incidents throughout the uh, throughout the country uh, regarding yeah. this sort of uh, dynamic that has mm-hmm. made legitimate this notion of black men as somehow threatening
3: and fearful. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
4: You write in the piece, um, I am surprised but not shocked that the situation is currently at full throttle the tension has been mounting for quite some time. And then you go on to say that Ferguson is a microcosm of the nihilism, anger, poverty, and cultural disconnect that has gripped the country for several decades. And I think all of us uh, get a sense, have a sense, of what you mean by that, you know, the, the... being a teenager and not being sure and confident that you are a full citizen, so you're always on guard. Here you are, a, a, an associate professor at Washington State University uh, in Vancouver, but you're still on guard. Um,
6: that's deep, isn't it? That's deep. Yeah, that's and I, very and, deep. And I traveled the world and lived in many places, but I'm, uh-huh. I'm very cognizant of making certain that um, – that I'm not uh, doing anything to position myself whereby Mm -hmm. I give them the opportunity to pull me over. You know, I was invited to uh, Missouri, uh, I'm trying to remember the name of the little town, but to give a lecture at a university about a year and a half ago. And I was just driving from the hotel to have a drink with a friend.
3: uh,
6: And the cop pulled me over because I was looking at a GPS as I was driving and, you know, slowed down. And it was just mm-hmm. this sort of, you know, I was like, wow, I'm really back in the Midwest. And so I guess the point I'm making is that it's not, again, it's not just
3: St. Yeah. Louis.
6: It, it is a, uh, and again, this was, this, was a, this was in between not far from Columbia. Uh, I can't remember the name of the little town, but it was a small college. But the point was,
3: mm-hmm.
6: not only was, and it, to get even more uh, outraged, Uh, One Mm -hmm. of my colleagues who taught at Mizzou, who I was meeting, who met me um, just to have, you know, a light dinner, uh, Mm -hmm. was a Caucasian woman, and the police officer asked her for her license. She
5: wasn't driving.
6: I was
4: driving.
3: (laughs) (laughs) You know, I grew up in the deep deep south. I understand
4: these things very intimately. (laughs) I want to bring James Clark, who's the vice president of community outreach, um at the uh Better Family Life Inc community c- it's a com- a network of community centers and social service uh in St. Louis. Uh, Mr. Clark, thank you so much for joining us here at Our Common Ground tonight.
1: Thanks right, everybody. Stevie?
6: Hey, I'm doing fine, James. How about
5: yourself? Good. I'm so happy oh, you were able
1: yeah. to
6: join this conversation. You are oh, yeah. an essential and long-standing, you know, soldier in trying to make St. Louis and uh, and uh, and our youth live much better uh, than they uh, than they presently are. And you've been doing this for decades. So, and James, I want to welcome
4: you to me. our common ground and thank you so much for joining us. Tell us a uh, very uh, Briefly about what your organization does and how it has been involved, and in probably trying to keep the lid on what we see has erupted from, uh, especially your law enforcement people that uh, over there in, in St. Louis.
1: Well, better family life. We're a 501 um, C3 nonprofit community development agency that believes that the family is the single most important unit that makes up society. So we, we have several divisions that work together to strengthen individuals and thereby strengthening families. We have our clinical department that is working hard right now to dispel the myth in the African-American community that's seeking uh, clinical help, that's seeking mental uh, consultation, is, is taboo. So our mm-hmm. clinical department works very, very hard to steer African Americans into therapy to get those deep-rooted demons that we sometimes face uh, uh, talked out and, in a very constructive way. We then mm-hmm. have our uh, housing division, and our housing division is right now working individuals who are working with people who are facing foreclosure. Uh, we also have a first-time home buyers program. And in which we assist with down payment assistance and also closing costs. Mm -hmm, Our youth mm -hmm. department is very active in the St. Louis metropolitan area right now with leadership training and also teen pregnancy prevention. I'm the vice president over community outreach, and I can say that I have been monitoring this um, uh, time bomb for about the last four years. Um, I have Mm -hmm. gone on record... Uh, many, uh, as many as four years ago and said that we are heading into a very, very unique era in which crime and violence will become much more commonplace. This, this, this issue um, with uh, Michael Brown is the first time that we've seen the subculture that lives within our community rear its head. You know, of course, we have a situation with the police, and, um, and we have got to hold police officers accountable. We, we have got to keep pressuring um, the, um, the prosecutor uh, to ensure that um, he handles this case and that it's very, very transparent. But we have also got to look at the community that we have allowed to live in isolation we cannot only view this as a situation where we must focus on the police department and on the judicial system we must also look inside the african american community and look at what we have allowed through our collective neglect to form into a subculture so so at at better family life we are committed to dealing with and keeping the correct and just amount of pressure on the judicial system. Uh, we 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 believe that justice must be served, but at the same time, we have got to look at the conditions in which we have allowed to to ex, to exist within the uh, Canfield apartments, where. Michael Brown and his family live. We have to look at the conditions that we allow in our community and we've got to begin to focus on that as well.
4: Mm -hmm. I'm looking at some demographics which say that there are 151,755 or 47% uh, African Americans who uh, resided in um, St. Louis at the last 2012, but I'm looking at also estimated medium household household incomes during that same period of 31,997 for St. Louis, and when you talk about federal financed housing, you're talking about people who live below the poverty medium poverty level. And it's certainly significantly low, lower than the medium household income in St. Louis. That's problematic in, a, in and of itself.
3: Oh, right? oh, so absolutely.
4: we come back
6: to what? The very issues of education, right? And then we come back yeah. to you know, how, do we, how do we, number one, uh, erode the sort of nihilism where people just feel like they just don't care. But beyond that, what are the institutional forces? That, that collide to, to produce that, that particular feeling or sentiment, right? I mean, mm-hmm. but I think Mr. Clark hits the point that it's very important that we, we all do have a stake in making sure that, that we have to make sure we do our part.
3: Yeah, mm-hmm. we, yeah. Have to mm-hmm. do our,
6: we have to do our part, mindful of the fact that we are facing institutionalized racism, but we have to fight and we have to fight with all of these organizations that are functioning independently but also functioning in this sort of uh, united fashion to attack the very core components, which are education is very important, you know, and this is why I mentioned this Freedom Summer in this, in this, uh, in this piece to just say this, this idea of this sort of strategic organization that requires this sense of self-confidence, and uh, understanding the institutions and the systems that we, are, uh, that we are fighting against so that we're able to make sure that we, there isn't this disenfranchisement. I mean, in mm-hmm. St. Louis, since I've come good, back, good. one of the things that I've noticed is there's been this sort of tr- this push of the underclass out of the city and out into these spaces that, as Mr. Clark points out, they're isolated on these islands.
1: And uh-huh, you know, uh-huh. interestingly
6: all those areas are near the different major universities. You know, I hate to say this but this is you know, this is a whole nother sort of, you know, scholarly study that people like Dr. involved Baldwin are working on called, you know, universities. But I mean there's, 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 there's a full trajectory that is part of it. I mean, you know, how do we how do we get people UNSO has a bridges program. So that's has to be a concerted effort to get the high school students, particularly out in the north suburbs even more attract them to the Uncle Bridges program where they're moving toward college credit before they even graduate because that is the key to changing the 31,000 median income dynamic that you're speaking of. I'm going to shut up. Mm -hmm.
1: We can can go back to the the, uh, documented uh, prediction of W.E.B. Du Bois. Mm -hmm. W.E.B. Du Bois made it clear that only 10% of African Americans would achieve higher education. He said that it was incumbent upon the 10% to reach back and share information with the 90% because if they did not look out for and protect the interests of the 90%, the 90% would begin to live in isolation. They would have no sense of upward mobility, and they would become hopeless, and they Mm -hmm. would begin to form a subculture that would not only undermine what the ten percent has achieved, but this ninety percent could bring America to its knees. That's mm-hmm, the mm-hmm. era in which we are in right now. When 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 we talk about the the ten percent, ten percent has got to reach back into the community and and inspire individuals to go and achieve higher ed- education. Yeah. Yeah. They have Let got to reach back to and help see- and give the, the underclass a sense of priority because right now the underclass priorities are starch materialism, starch mm-hmm. recreation, starch um, immediate gratification because that's all that they've been exposed to. So right, right now we have got to push the middle class to say we have got to come back into our community and defend our people. And then we have mm-hmm. to say to the broader community, we have got to say to America that your foreign policy has got to now your your foreign policy has got to also be implemented on the, on on the domestic front. We can mm-hmm. no longer mm-hmm. allow the ghetto to exist on the mm-hmm. American landscape. Mm-hmm.
4: Which is why in this country for those of you who are living, the United States spent more than $290 million in the restoration of Europe after we bombed the hell out of Japan and bombed the hell out of Germany and look at the economies of those countries, and we have got to insist that there be a Marshall Plan for the black Nation.
1: And, 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 and there's understand. some recent, James,
4: let me ask you a question. And, yes. and, 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 and Tabidi, you, you know how I go, so you just jump right on in. But there are some recent policies around housing, around social service, around education that has become incredible impediments. I'll give you one, and, and James, you just mentioned this. It's called... The mobile housing voucher, one of the ways in which cities have architecturally moved black people out of the way of the extended downtown development is by giving them federal vouchers where they can go live anywhere, knowing full well that in the community that they live in, after gentrification, there will be no housing for which they are eligible. The culture won't cover it, so they have sent them out to other suburbs. In Boston, it's New Bedford, Massachusetts. Yes. Boston, Massachusetts. In St. Louis, it's Ferguson. It's Columbia. It's some other places. Except for they did it in a way to make sure that the housing where they were going was going to be segregated. And that created new kinds of ghettos for a new True. culture of black people.
1: And, and that's where we've got to begin to do effective outreach. It is, it is incumbent upon social service organizations to invest in outreach initiatives that literally go door to door and deliver resources directly into the homes of the people who need help the most. See, we we, we are at a very, very crucial moment right now in, in, in America. And 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 while we focus on the tragedy that happened to Brother Michael Brown, my heart goes out to his family. I have met with, with his family on a number of occasions. His family participated in our Peace Fest. Um, annual event uh, last Sunday so so I'm, we are in full support of justice but we have got to look at the individuals who stood up see these were not middle class African Americans that stood up these were not the pastors these, these were not the, the individuals who are now posturing themselves the people who st- the ones who had the guts to stand up have been have been systematically taken out of the narrative. Now they have they have receded back into their homes while everyone is protesting and marching and getting camera time, but I guarantee you this, piss this element off again. <laughs> and in three, All right, Mr. <laughs> Mr. Clark. Piss them off again. No, sister, I was at a town hall I meeting got you. just last week, and a young brother stood up and told the police chief, Chief, you all are killing us. You all are killing us. And Chief, don't think that you're going to continue to kill us and we're going begin to shoot back at you. Mm-hmm. And we've got to understand that that mentality exists in the urban core. And it's not just in St. Louis. Every major metropolitan area in America has a segment of the community that has been ignored for too long, for far too long. And now they have morphed into a subculture, and now that subculture is festering. We, we have got to understand this thing. It's the subculture that we've got to focus on in this whole discourse, not the marching, not the protest. There's a segment in our community that is tired, angry, frustrated, and very, very volatile. We've got to go into those neighborhoods, and we've got to bring the resources We've got to bring the love, and we've got to cultivate that segment of our community so that they feel a part. See, mm-hmm. and, and, and it's us. It's African Americans. We, treat, we treated the people that lived in the Camfield apartments like germs. We mm-hmm. didn't reach out to them. The churches did not go there. Educated, let me tell you a story that happened with a group of young ladies representing a sorority. Okay, a a news reporter friend of mine caught them walking down the road with their with their Greek letters across their chest, their their um, gloves, their uh, brooms, and their shovels. About five of them. She said, "Oh, ladies, can I put mics on you? And when you walk in, I want to catch you engaging the residents, right?" So these five sisters, they all they put on the channel. The news, uh, the news organizations microphone, and they walked into the Canfield apartments. Walked up to a group of young ladies, about eight of them. Two of them had their young children; they were bouncing them on their knees. And the young ladies walked up. My name is Ashley. My name is Brittany. My name is Sheila, and we're this Greek organization, and we came here. Are cleaners. One of the young sisters said, You all never came here to teach us how to get in college. You all never came here to teach us how how to read. You all did not come here to help us understand how to better our lives. So please don't come here today to clean up. We can do it ourselves. Thank you. That's where Thank you for saying that,
4: James. Oh yeah, it was a very, very powerful piece. That's a that's That's a a powerful powerful story for us yes very very, it's very powerful instructive
1: African Americans, we have had to look at ourselves in the mirror right now like never before i 'm in Miami right now with Tracy Martin, the father of Trayvon Martin, working with his his foundation here, then I'm going back to St Louis. Tracy understands fully that African Americans we've got to put just as much energy and effort into protesting and mobilizing when there's an African American finger on the trigger. Mm
3: -hmm.
1: Because in St. Louis, every day since Michael Brown killed, there have been murders in St. Louis that have gone Uh that have gone unprotested, that have gotten no community response. So I agree with our outrage and our passion to hold system accountable. But we have also got to look at it and say we kill each other every day. Mm-hmm. And we have to have a no-tolerance violence, tolerance, uh, no, no
6: tolerance, violence uh, policy within our own communities and within yes. our own culture. Yes. You're mm-hmm. right about that, James. There was
4: breaking news today out of St. Louis that an officer and a veteran by the name of Dewan Gore of the St. Louis Police Department was suspended without pay and faces charges after a
1: Hello? Yes.
4: During a confrontation. I do note for all of you who are listening that Officer Darian Wilson is white. Officer Gore is black. Wilson didn't do a report nor did Gore do a report. And um, but Wilson has been suspended without pay and faces charge of second degree assault. That does not say that he is not a, a Darren Wilson, and it does not go to say that he is not a Mike Brown.
1: Yes, so unconvolute
4: I'm,
3: I'm, that.
1: I, I didn't hear. I don't think the BD and I heard. Uh, the situation, because there was a little uh, static, um, so so we didn't hear it.
4: Okay, this is a black police officer who Mm -hmm. assaulted and broke three fingers of a black 24-year-old black man in St. Louis. He was suspended without pay and faces charges of second-degree assault, and I hope that Dewan Gore is his name, he understands that he is Mike Brown; he just wears a uniform, <laughs> and yeah. I hope that our community brings him bring we, we have to separate these issues we can 't yeah. look at them as one one is he 's a police officer out of control, the other he 's a police officer who is facing a policy and rules and sanctions different from a white police officer who murdered a man in cold blood while he had his hands up.
1: Yeah. Now, now Susan, just a point of clarification, those are two different jurisdictions, and they have i understand two different that Okay, okay.
4: Yeah, I, I do understand that. But when we see this, because... I have I have been collecting over the last 2 weeks videos of police brutality and abuse across the country against black people because yes. I'm going to put up a website. Yes. And I have seen and I and I posted for those of you who follow me on Facebook, you might remember my post of last weekend where I was talking about we've got to have a conversation with our own people who are law enforcement officials, because they have an obligation, they have a responsibility. Without us, they would not be there, and we need to hold them accountable for their behavior.
0: And it's not just their behavior
4: in their official capacity according to police department rules. It is about who they say that, who they can say they are to our children to our elders and to the citizens who look like them
1: yes, yes,
4: they cannot be yes, part of the thug culture of the gang culture and vilifying our people just to go along to get along
1: now that's no, my so note to that I'm you, sorry to no you 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 are. Absolutely right, and we have african Americans police officers in the St. Louis uh, metropolitan area. There is a brother, Major Ronnie Robinson, who has been on the front line, and he remains on, on the front line. He's being totally transparent. Uh, uh, Ronnie Robinson has served as a St. Louis City police officer now for over 25 years. Uh, he worked his way up through uh, the ranks. So so, I don't want it to go undenoted that we have some yes. very, very focused and some very, very strong African-American police officers in St. Louis City as well as in St. Louis County. So we cannot allow this moment to come and go and not use it as a point of pivot. See, too often these are just protest that come and mm-hmm. go. We need some concrete things to come out of this. And, and I think that, that one thing that we have got to understand is that as African-Americans, we can no longer explore and, and disregard when there's an African-American finger on that trigger. We cannot a- do that.
4: Absolutely,
1: absolutely. We have got be- to be just as angered when a black person pulls the trigger as we are when anyone else, be it law enforcement citizens, such as George Zimmerman. Also I'm mm-hmm. very, very happy when I heard um that uh Rick Ross, P. Diddy and other rappers have done a song in tribute to Michael Brown. Now well, we've we got that tonight. Yeah. We need for those individuals to now begin to change the narrative of their music. See yeah. because because I'm here right now today with, with Tracy Martin and he's talking about reaching out to them because the narrative of their music paints a very vivid picture of killing in our neighborhood. So a- absolutely, is, it does. So this is a very, very this is a very, very important moment, not just in American history and in world history. But for the African-American community, we cannot just sleepwalk through this and That's go right. on with tired feet from protesting. We've got to begin to treat each other better. We've got to begin to love each other better. And so we can command. See, you either command respect or you demand respect. We have got to command respect. And we. my mother taught us. People will only respect you to the degree that you respect yourself, and people will disrespect you only to the degree that they see you disrespecting yourself. As African Americans, we can take my mother's message and internalize it. We can command respect as we begin to to respect each other. Absolutely. Let we me are, check are, to see. Are, yes,
4: ma'am. Does four minutes. <laughs> Senator Masheed, are you there? 443, Senator Masheed? Masheed? I don't think that's her. Um, uh, You're listening to Our Common Ground and our guests, Dr. Tabidi Lewis and James Clark, both natives of St. Louis, and we're talking about black St. Louis, and we've gone into a zone of talking about black respect Commanding it, demanding it, facing the beast in front of our community. I'm Janice Graham. This is our common ground. We're going to be right back.
1: playing yes, right here right yeah. Now. Yeah. Now, now, I do right really We need Justice yeah. We need justice, yeah. oh.
2: I heard he surrendered, but we all saw how they did them. Television broadcasts a confused country. I'm a resident of a nation that don't want me. What's done is done, the town erupts in fury. And I'm already hearing about this lopsided jury. Three faces like his, the rest another story. A lot of motherfuckers need to act more worried. The revolution has been televised. If I sit here and don't do nothing, homie, that's genocide. Fuck that, we have arrived. And who cares who ain't on our side, cause we on our own How you preach peace to a family that just
5: lost they own My bro, brody game is back, my line like we gotta do something All that marching in that peace ain't gon' fucking do nothing Fuck it, my mom. sorry, I'm ready to raise The police to
3: lift the animals out the cage, oh Lord, to take a for the future Like we are God, we are God ain't put us on the earth to get murdered. It's murder. God ain't put us on the earth to get murdered. It's murder. Don't point your weapons at me.
2: Stand up.
1: You're listening to Our Common Ground with Janice Graham. Transforming truth to power, one broadcast at a time.
3: That's what you want to do. You're listening to Truth
2: Works, Network, the Alpha Show.
4: Fire, as we keep our
2: hands up high and scream for justice, Ferguson, rest in peace Mike Brown, and all the young soldiers out there, God help us. We come take a and save our future,
3: but like we are guys up, we are, are, are. guys up, up our heads, don't let them shoot us, because we are we got, we are we got. Place on the earth to get mad, it's murder it put it on the earth to get mad, it's murder. So put
2: your at me. Seen the pictures, feel the pain Scanners how they murder son. Tired of them killing us I'm on my way to Ferguson Talk to Tip, I talk to Diddy Then my brother's walking with me your Mother's crying, stopped the rise We ain't got to chalk the city I seen coal out there Felt I should go out there They left that boy four hours in the cold out there They killing teens They killing dreams
3: Yo,
4: come on We gotta stick together You're listening to Our Common Ground in our 2014 season, Black America, a State of Emergency.
3: ain't put us on the to get Thank you for joining
4: us here at A Women's Follow us on Facebook and all social media, including Twitter, at Janice OCG. Our Common Ground, each Saturday, 10 p.m. Eastern Time, speaking truth to power and ourselves. And we thank you for being with us here
3: at Our Common Ground tonight.
4: Um, We are with Dr. Tabidi Lewis, who is a native of St. Louis and wrote a piece in the St. Louis Patch Post-Dispatch. Um, my St. Louis, then and now. We're talking about his his childhood and adulthood experiences. And James Clark, he is the vice president of outreach at Better Family Life Inc., which is a community a network of community centers. And he's going to have to leave us. But James, before you leave.
3: <laughs> James? James?
4: Okay, something's going on with the line with James. To Beattie, uh, James was absolutely right that this song that was a dedication, is a dedication to uh, Michael Brown and uh, the way in which he was murdered by Darren Wilson, the police officer, is just very powerful because it is a generation of black Americans who are talking to us and bringing it from the street into our faces. And I think that we have to begin to listen to what they're saying. Now, one of the things... (laughs) Excuse me. One of the things that has happened in 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 Missouri is that it has become apparent that there were was no structural, political, or educational empowerment going on. That people didn't have a voice. I've heard that over and over and over and over that black citizens in Ferguson and St. Louis are so disenfranchised, so marginalized that they have disconnected in in any significant civic en- engagement. What's your take on that?
6: Well, I mean, uh, this is this is one of the Hello? Oh yeah, this is one okay. of the wealthiest cities in the country. And there's a lot of old, established wealth. I can recall St. Louis's first mayor, Freeman Bosley Jr., coming into office, and um, the level of, of vitriol and, and um, the level of sort of media attacks that took place throughout his term uh, were really mind-boggling. And um, so... I mean, these dynamics are very real. So even when there is this sort of... And his his campaign was two keys playing on the piano, you know, pulling on the ebony and ivory, uh, you know, Michael Jackson and Paul McCarthy, or or Stevie Wonder and, uh, you know, but this idea of two keys playing together, this idea of harmony. Um, And so, uh, but despite that, despite the many achievements, there was this sort of constant uh attack on any little negative thing that, that may have occurred. I'm talking about minor things, like, oh, the mayor signed the wrong paper for something, you know, in putting something forward. But things that may happen that normally would never be reported. This was the kinda of, these were the kind of dynamics. And um so I mean so yes, I mean remember I think Louis is a city that, you know, when many of the revolts were taking place throughout the country in the 60s, which is something I alluded to, this is one of those places where it was sort of kept in check. All right. Um, and so unfortunately uh, there has been this sort of very conservative uh, keeping the, the lid on things here, particularly, I mean, I think in some ways, uh, a little bit more conservative uh, sort of black leadership that has not wanted to rock the boat too hard. And so these kind of things come back and bite you, you know?
3: Mm-hmm. And
6: mm-hmm. Um, and so I think we forget the lesson um, of the 60s. You know, it's interesting, that very spirit that, you know, <laughs> this is so odd to me and actually humorous, and, and I don't mean it in a, uh, um, uh, I don't mean to be mean about comedic, it. Comedic, yeah. You know,
3: uh-huh. Yeah,
6: it's very comedic. It, you know, during the, You know, in the South during the Freedom Riding, Freedom Rides, and, you know, when people were, uh, you know, organizing uh, nonviolently, the uh, reports, the media reports were outside agitators were coming in to to create trouble, and I listened to the same sort of reports. Here, that you know they were outside agitators, and you know things were fine except for you know many many of the outsiders. So this whole notion of almost everything is fine if if as long as these outsiders don't come in, people are okay with their situation, you know. Um, uh, if not, except for these sort of outsiders stirring up trouble, uh, which mm-hmm. which is actually quite problematic, and so. Uh, but your real question is, I think there has not been the level of sort of constant organizing and agitation that needs that has to take place. Uh, and luckily I mean there are a number of organizations like you know Better Family Life, which I think are essential um, but um, but certainly uh, not effective or not enough for the level of effective, consistent. Um, uh, organ- organizing And a lot mm-hmm. of it does Send back to I mean, When you look at the state Of the even the public schools uh, Not all of the schools Are accredited uh, There certainly Was a 70, uh, like a, a significant Jump forward But that was a jump forward From a very far fall Right Yeah um, I, I think that there are two
4: things To be going on here uh, Out in the hinterlands Away from St. Louis And away from Ferguson and that, and it, it is not new. It is simply mm-hmm. that the discourse and the discussions have begun anew. That is all that is new about this, because if you know anything about St. Louis, if you know anything about any major city in America where there have been significant numbers of African Americans, there have been race riots before. And I want to remind people, that in the 1917s, uh, half a million African Americans in, in, in the 1910s, half a million uh, African Americans moved from the impoverished rural South to booming industrial cities of the North, which included St. Louis in search mm-hmm. of jobs and freedom from Jim Crow laws. St. Louis was an industrialized city at that time. But northern whites responded with rage, attacking blacks in the street and laying waste to black neighborhoods in a a horrific series of deadly race riots that broke out in dozens of cities across the nation, including Philadelphia, the race riots of Philadelphia, Chicago, Tulsa, Houston, and Washington, D.C. And in East St. Louis, corrupt city officials and industrialists had openly courted Southern blacks, luring them north to replace striking white laborers. And this created what might be called a a, a tinderbox, and it erupted in St. Louis on July 2, 1917, what would become one of the bloodiest American riots of the World War era. So we need to be able to go back and see where tensions really begin to mount and and this whole competition between white privilege for employment and black employment discrimination we need to put that all together in the context of this
6: yeah which yeah,
5: these which are dictates, these
4: are yeah
6: these
5: go are ahead.
4: real
6: issues uh i'm just thinking about even you know uh you, my childhood you, know, you had you, you, you're talking about this question of industry and the question is where is that industry today and so we live in a new economy that has shifted so you had this shift from agrarian to uh, you know industrial revolution more industrialized America so you had these jobs and these opportunities where you could get you know where you have you know, people striking and you can get this new cheaper labor well now the same thing is occurring only now you have people who are educated, but living in what maybe used to be third world countries, but second world, who may have engineering degrees and education, but you can hire those people for, for you know, a cheaper rate. So you can get an engineer at fifteen, twenty thousand dollars in India or you know, or you know, uh, you know, one of these countries, and exploit that labor under the guise of well, they're making more than they would have. And so the question is, you know, we've had a shift regarding mm-hmm. technology that requires a different set of educational skills in order to be employed and so those general motor those GM type jobs are gone and that has had a huge impact on eroding the some mm-hmm. of the stability within the urban american centers and so those parents that may have been you know working class but say someone like my father they could own a house a car support three or four children uh, those things no longer, um, those sort of opportunities no longer exist, and mm-hmm, so,
3: mm-hmm.
6: and this is not just impacting uh, people of color, but I, but I would, I would go on to say I think white Americans as well, and living in Oregon, mm-hmm. one gets, for me living in Oregon, I get a greater sense of, you know, like wow, this is the state that you know our country is in, but people are in denial or they don't really want to see it. You know, I remember mm-hmm. uh, uh, taking my daughter, my oldest daughter, oh, maybe eight years ago on a trip back here St. Louis to visit. And us living, us living in Oregon all the time as we were going, you know, pull along the, the highways, the people that we would see uh, asking for money, for food, homeless, for Caucasian, because 90, 91% of the population... White mm-hmm. so um, the small circles of african americans that, that 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 our children knew well, you know our friends, people migrating out there were you know lawyers, doctors, business owners, professors, mm-hmm. so their idea was all the black people they knew were you know uh, you know were doing okay, so we came to mm-hmm. St. Louis for a visit, and my daughter wanted to know what was wrong with there was a brother asking for some money or something as I was getting on the Metro, we were, you know, taking the kids around uh, so they could really get a feel of the pulse of the city on metro link to go to the Riverfront area. And she said, well, what's wrong with this black man? And I said, well, he, just, he doesn't have any money. She said, no, black people aren't. poor. only, you know, only white people. I mean, so, I mean, but the point I'm making is that it's all about what is your world view. But being in Oregon, the reality mm-hmm. is that, you know, there are a lot of poor Throughout the country, and when we look at the, the hard facts, we all know that, quite frankly, we live in a, in an oligarchy right now, where you know the small minority holds even a more vast amount of the world's wealth. I mean, that's just right. the reality. So when you say, well, where are those jobs? Where are the opportunities? You know, you have people that are. Uh, we all know that. I don't. You have to be an economist to know that when more people are employed, when the wealth is distributed. A bit more effectively, you know uh, forget the the the, uh, the falsehoods and the fictionality of uh, Reagan's voodoo economics when the wealth exists among a larger amount of the populace, they're going to the engine of the economy is going to thrive because you have more people purchasing you know things that they need right uh, as opposed to a small few just sitting and holding you know the vast majority of the wealth and so uh, the, the 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 economy has changed, and it's a different type of uh, of production of uh, and skill set that you know actually gets individuals employed. You know, mm-hmm. uh, but
4: there's a, there's another aspect to this too, and it's something that no one has really talked about, and that is if our beloved young brother Michael Brown had been murdered in New York have been murdered in Miami or Atlanta or Los Angeles or Chicago or Philadelphia or any other part city in this country if the response would have been the same. And it's really interesting. Uh, Michael Brown was murdered uh, one week after Eric Garner was buried in New York. Um, yeah. And there wasn't there, there was an outrage in in New York. There was a huge march uh, across the Brooklyn Bridge or some bridge. Um, but there wasn't the boiling over. And I'm wondering if it simply was in response to the kind of incompetent stupidity that, in my mind, was intentional to To bring confusion to a process uh, of looking at how you respond to this murder and and, and so I'm, I'm wondering if in fact Ferguson or St. Louis is any really any different uh, than any well, other American city
6: you know it's interesting uh, you just never it's difficult to get a sense of what moment, what, what event touches off uh, uh-huh. the kind of I've had enough, right? I mean, for example, uh-huh. it's like someone saying a revolution started. Well, we all know that um, a revolution is something that <laughs> takes place over a long period of time of organizing, uh, educating, politicizing, et cetera, et cetera, that it comes to a head and one small thing ignites this situation, Mm -hmm. right? Riots, whether it's the 1930s Harlem riots, uh, the riots in Newark. I mean, you know, any of these
4: things, Mm -hmm. right? And Um, and none of them really were revolutions. A revolution is a a, long-term transformative process.
6: That's right. It's a long-term protracted struggle Mm -hmm. uh, and process. But Mm -hmm. my point just being that I think you have this sort of – internal, external dynamics uh, converging that, that create the sparks that makes this situation go to the point that it does. So, mm-hmm. for example, well, you have I think there some, some, some of the recent incidents and murders, but you also have, as you saw, the way in which the police force, the prosecution's office, uh, the slow movements of the governor and different political forces, all of those things uh, were part of inciting and flaming the sort of rage where people mm-hmm. are, are feeling this, this, you know, wow, number one, we don't feel people care. And number two, it's the feeling of, we'll, I mean, think about it, the, 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 the actions in Ferguson of the police are, well, we're, we're not going to tell you who the cop is. We'll, 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 we won't give the autopsy until we get good and ready. I mean, this is on a national stage. So imagine... Yeah what people but, are dealing with when it's not on the national stage. So when you see the outrage it is reflective of this type of uh, willful influence that takes that's taking place mm-hmm. consistently. Consistently. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And people just that's it. They've had
4: enough. Well, know? I think there was some there was another point of where there was just a total meltdown of humanity and that was the point where a, even after Michael Brown had been gunned down in cold blood with his hands up he was left to lie in mm-hmm. a puddle of blood and brains for 4 hours and it was so yeah. inhumane how does that occur people like it was such a strike at our dignity it was such a strike at a respect for human life and black life that it just was like uh, 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 a woman sitting on the front row in church and after a while she can do nothing but scream. Mm -hmm. And that's what we did. Mm -hmm. We screamed.
3: Mm -hmm.
4: I mean, I just um, think that 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 was the point in this instance that we didn't have in the other instances, with the exception of i just I just feel so raw and so roughed up and turned down watching black people being murdered by under law Eric Garner. Right. And,
6: and those fans were flamed by the response to how dare you have those human emotions
4: exactly. when people exactly. gather
6: for a peaceful protest. And the response was a militarized affront uh, of exactly. assault weapons and disbursement of yep. a peaceful gathering. And so mm-hmm. they each, I mean, people watched, which people watched for two weeks, basically the law enforcement inciting, quite frankly, uh, mm-hmm. not inciting, creating, Violence
3: quite mm-hmm. frankly, or if not, well actually it, agitating in my
4: estimation, it. my observation was they were begging for it,,
3: yeah. they
4: were yeah. begging for it, and yeah. um it's the top of the hour at our common ground. we're expecting Senator Jamila uh, Nasheed. I know that she was involved in a uh, an eight o 'clock meeting in Ferguson after the march, a very peaceful march, but a very powerful march today. So she may be held up. So we're going to open up our lines at 347-838-9852 if you'd like to talk with us about the matter of Black St. Louis then and now. Um, Tabiti, one of the things I, I wanted to ask you about and it's probably what your students are asking you about when you go back into class on on Tuesday, and it's the whole notion of the question of the rash of police killings over the last four weeks or the last two years. Uh, The Malcolm X Grassroots Committee has estimated that a black man is killed every 36 hours in this country, either by a police officer or a security guard. I have collected just in my Facebook feed over the last three days nine cases of either police killings or police brutality. And that's not to count what I've seen in the last year uh, on that feed. So, what do you think accounts? You know, I mean, we saw police just simply out of order. The police officer, who, by the way, as a as an update to our broadcast, uh, who was in, he was a, a Saint Anne's police officer who had been assigned to Ferguson, and he told a news reporter, F you, I will kill you. He has resigned.
6: Yeah, these are we saw mean, police all these officers. neighboring areas.
4: Go we ahead. saw a police chief who came before the nation with a string of lies and tales and stories that made no sense. And you knew he was lying. We've heard from a governor who has... This man could do, as I tell my grandchildren, the pee-pee dance. He has danced with his legs crossed and his eyes closed for an entire three weeks. So we don't know who this Democratic governor, Nixon, really is. We have heard... Outside clergy talking more about the real deal in Ferguson than we have heard inside clergy or saint or St louis, so and, and I was really glad to to hear James Clark when he was with us to talk to us about we got to do better, but this rash of killings. When we come back, well, I'm going to take a short break because I've I got to check to see if Jamila uh, Nasheed is somewhere on this board. We've got almost over 100 calls callers listening on the board. And Jamil, uh, Senator Nasheed, if you're on, make sure you press 1 so that I will know that you want to talk because everybody else hasn't pressed 1. Uh, you're listening to Our Common Ground. Our guest tonight is a native son reflecting on Black St. Louis, Dr. Tabidi Lewis. He is an our common ground voice, and we are so glad to to have him back with us. We're going to take this break, and we will be right back. Don't you move, because we know what to do with your radio.
3: The fire as we keep our hands up high and scream for justice.
4: Rest in peace, Mike Brown, and all the young soldiers out there. God help us. <laughs> this is our common ground. Each Saturday 10 p.m. I'm Janice Graham, and I'll be listening for you. <laughs>
0: go down.
2: Yes, I hate to
0: see that evening
2: sun go down. Cause it makes me feel like Trans I'm on, on my One last go round. Happen. If I'm feeling
5: tomorrow
3: like I feel i feel today i'm gonna pack
2: my truck and make my getaway
1: and now back to yes, our common ground
3: woman wears her ring.
1: india declare real raw and right now
4: Join India Declare real, raw, and right now, Fridays and Saturdays, 11 a.m. It's the I Declare Friday and Saturday brunch. If you want your news real and your talk raw and right now, it's Friday and Saturday, India Declare at the I Declare brunch. Real, raw, and right now, India is live Friday and Saturday morning. 11 a.m. The I Declare Show with India Declare. On Blog Talk Radio.
1: India Declare. Real, raw, and right now.
4: We invite you to join Peter E. Matthews on Soul Emergence. Tuesday nights, 9 p.m. Soul Emergence at TruthWorks Network. Where
1: reconciliation
4: is the tool of revolution soul emergence with Peter E. Matthews only on TruthWorks Network The Black Voice Collaborative
2: I believe in sex I believe in love I believe in taking responsibility I believe in using condoms Yo confío en mi comunidad
3: I believe
4: in being honest and open.
2: I believe in keeping my partner safe.
1: I believe in myself.
2: I believe in stopping HIV.
1: I believe in the future.
2: HIV stops with me. 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 Me.
4: Drilling down. Just damn. When injustice becomes law, resistance becomes duty.
1: This is Alpha, hosting the best of pushback talk
4: radio. The Alpha Show, only at TruthWorks Network. Fridays. We rush into battle. We're soldiers. We get hurt in the fight. We suck it up and we hold it down and
2: we don't question. Over a cliff, or did that only apply as long as Liv
6: didn't
3: have any flaws?
4: You're listening to Our Common Ground, speaking truth to power and ourselves, broadcasting bold, brave, black. I'm Janice Graham, and I'll be listening for you.
3: Look at her. She's the bad man
4: And we thank you for being with us here at our Common Ground tonight with Dr. Louis Tabidi, who's back with us, and we thank him very much. Our number is 347-838-9852. In this second page, we're hoping that Senator Jamila Nasheed, who is the representative of the 5th District of Missouri, uh, which includes St. Louis ann ferguson and she is a native of st louis to join us in this conversation about black st louis we're going to go to our phones uh, with dr lewis tabidi 443 you're on the air i respect you thank you for your call hello hello you're on the air
0: Oh, how you doing? Um, My name is Taranda Jones, and I'm calling from Baltimore. Yes, I'm calling from Baltimore, and I just want to thank you guys for doing this show today. It is very important that we have shows like this, and basically, I'm going through the same thing that um, Ferguson is going through with Michael Brown. My brother Tyrone West was brutally murdered right in Baltimore City um, by up to 15 police officers. And my family and I have been on the ground fighting here in the city ever since July 18, 2013. It's been 408 days. We still have not got my brother's whole autopsy report. So it's just really sad. And then I was even able and was invited to protest with Eric Gardner's family last weekend, which was very powerful up in New York. So I just want to say that police brutality need to end everywhere. It's, it's not right. You know, first well, of all, Ms. Jones, you let
4: this. me let me ask you about whether or not you have gotten any assistance from community organizations in Baltimore City or in Baltimore uh, regarding what ha- what happened to. And please uh, accept my deepest condolences. Uh, losing yes. a sibling is a very difficult uh, thing, especially in the light of what sounds like a great deal of violence what are have you have you been in touch with any community organizations to assist your family in
0: getting the autopsy well, no, right now my, um, you know, my attorneys are working on getting a whole full They just basically, after 154 days, it took them to give us a partial autopsy report, and they expect for my family to believe, and this was nine flimsy pages, they expect for my family to believe that my brother had died of a heart attack and dehydration when, the events leading up to his death, my brother was healthy and as an ax, you know, the healthiest man in my family, and me and him was eating dinner, and he was drinking water and everything, and it's even a bottle of water on top of my vehicle. They hit my brother's body for five days from my family. He's riding in my vehicle. He was stereotyped, pulled out of his car, beat to death, chased, maced, pepper praying and everything, and 17 days prior, in the same neighborhood of Kentmore, um, two of the officers uh, that started, you know, brutally murder my brother, brutally beat a man. The same two officers brutally beat a man in that same community in front of his three-year-old son. They hard tied him, called him the N-word, just like they did my brother, but the difference between Abdul Salam, thank God he made it, but tragically, my brother didn't. You know, what is, is you your really brother's say, no, name? Our brother's name is, and you can hashtag it as West. You can go and you can just It's it's just so, it's like the biggest thing here In Baltimore City, if you just Google Justice for Tyrone West Or you can go on Baltimore BLOC and you will see All of our protests, we started something Called West Wednesday that we Started initially right the first Week when they brutally murdered my brother And hit him, we've been out there Protesting through last, I mean Through the, you know, the summer when it happened All the way through this summer And we had a horrible winter and nobody In the community has really like where with like we not had like this and but we have no like persons like really back in my family like every now and then somebody might stick their hand And we had like thank god Delmar Coates he came then you know and uh, he basically stood in solidarity with my family and whatnot and we have like you know but we have really nothing's been transparent we have no hope so we're doing everything like it's just so sad nobody's family should do what we're doing be, like, left alone with no answers and just left up but we're not going anywhere. And it was to the point that our prosecutor here in Baltimore City decided to give all the officers full immunity. He didn't even do a thorough investigation or anything, and that's why my family protested and got him off the chair because we know that voting is very important, and you can change things by voting and standing on a good cause and purpose, and that's what we're doing. If they're not going to do their jobs, they're going to all have to leave. You understand what I'm saying? Because it's not right. Nobody deserves to be brutally murdered. And it's just really saying We have nobody to really, like, seriously back us. And it's not right. And then the saddest part, when Art Gardner was brutally murdered in the same fashion, like, choked outside, like how my brother was, you know, and whatnot. Mm-hmm. But um, this was a year, as I was entering the day before the year of my brother's death, tragic, and, you know, anniversary, that's when Art Gardner was murdered. You know what I'm saying? It's just mm-hmm. sad. And that's why I was on it when they said to Wanda Jones, you can come and stand and they let me stand on that corner where Eric Gardner was really murdered. And I saw the videos and it touched my heart and I got to talk, you know, talk to his family and I got interviews with yeah. the Huffington Post and things of that nature, but it's just not right. And it's just like said, it's okay. we got Ferguson in Baltimore City.
4: Well, what we want to do is try to help you get with organizations. I know that there are organizations in Baltimore, and I know some activists in Baltimore who I have not heard from about this this situation. Um, you know, Joe, Janice,
6: isn't it interesting how the Attorney General makes his way all the way here to St. Louis? And, uh
4: and he's is right not there, very Baltimore.
0: Far City. Away. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah. that that is interesting to be. And we even, um, to a, uh, we even went to a we even went to where he literally ran from one of my family members. We were trying to tell him about what was going on just to get his advice and sent wrote a letters, But God is so good because, like I said, I will not rest until we get justice for Tyrone West. You know, and I even wrote, I emailed President Barack Obama, and he graciously got the Department of Justice to. Run write me a letter back or whatnot. So right now at this moment I'm getting my attorney to be a Mr. Dwight Petty, I'm getting my attorney to send everything. They say, send the partial autopsy report, send whatever you have because I'm definitely trying to get these killer cops and cell blocks. You know, yeah. nobody deserves to be brutally murdered and it's just say it. Do you have a pen? Yes. I want no, 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 no. you to write down my
4: email address. Okay.
0: It's it's Wait. Janet. A give me one second, cause this can stop. Okay. Right, and give me one second, please.
4: How did you find out about our program?
0: Um, um, thank God, Miss. Um, it's a lady named Miss Amiji. She, um, basically, she's my friend on Facebook, and she even came down to, to support our rallies. Yes, Amiji um, Woodlock.
4: She,
0: yeah, I'm sorry. Say mm-hmm. that again.
4: Amiji Woodlock a prisoner of Prisoner. Yes. Um, yes, yes, yes. Mm-hmm. Woodlock, prisoner Radio. Yes. 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 That's how okay. Hard. Yeah, please, I want you yes. to find me on Facebook. My email address is on my Facebook page. And okay. email me a way in which to get in touch with you. Okay. Can you give I me an will, email
3: address?
4: It's Janice, J-A-N-I-C-E, at ourcommonground.com. com. Okay. And if you email me information of how to get in touch with you, we can talk off off uh, privately and we can try to help you get to people that you need to be
0: talking with
4: in Baltimore. I, I
0: totally graciously appreciate you and God bless you and you definitely will be hearing from me. And like I said, if you want to see everything that we're doing, you can just Google Justice for Tyrone West and you'll see everything. You'll see
4: okay. everything. Well, you... Okay. And your family have our deepest condolences,
3: yeah and do. W-
4: we are going to see if we can 't get you some resources to make sure that your legal rights are restored under the circumstances under this circumstance as a family and, I appreciate and, and 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 maybe we can do a show about just about this case because you see Tabidi thank you Ms. Jones and 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 God bless thank you so much I'm gonna put you back on uh, mute so you can continue to listen okay Tabidi you see these are the kind of circumstances where our community organizations are not stepping up and and I'm gonna say this and I'm gonna say it again I said a lot Tabidi I don't want to get you in trouble or nothing but some of these organizations are full of shit (laughs) <laughs> Excuse me, okay? <laughs> well,
6: you know, I think that there's an interesting point that we've reached. Um, you asked two questions, and I, may, I want to hit this. Number one, you know, why is this occurring? And I think a lot, it, a lot of it is existed because of historical sort of mythologizing of black people, particularly, you know, black women and men, but particularly black men as a sort of boogeyman figure. And we see it pervading throughout even popular culture and sports. You know, I write about sport, you see it. You know, even when you you know, go back to the to the I think it was Mademoiselle magazine where LeBron James is on the front cover, you know, looking like this sort of beastly gorilla figure holding, you know, mm-hmm. this delicate white model. So even mm-hmm. the people that mm-hmm. are quote unquote acceptable are constructed as these sort of beastly figures. So, you know, these sort of mythological mythological criminalization that occurs on every single level in all the different entities um, that in some way make it where by if police officers are taught to, if they're trained to shoot when they feel there's a threat and every subliminal and overt message that's coming, even, even from our own, right? So uh, mm-hmm. the brother talks mm-hmm. about the hip-hop music and the sort of, you know, criminal, criminal, the only narrative is a criminal story. There's no criminal stories about where the job's at and why people on welfare and what's the level of the education or, you know, how we're being disenfranchised within the school districts and, you know, uh, you know jobs, et cetera, et etc. Those aren't worthy narratives to, to mm-hmm. make songs about but um, so you so, see the, so I he, think that the is one component and i think that there's a complacency a lot of people have sold out from the standpoint of they're comfortable right and so therefore they don't want to rock the boat you know so when you well, think of it, I, and i also think that of some it. of these
4: I also think that some of these community organizations are doing what is comfortable for them for fundraising or being able to position themselves in which to get funding, and that is an impediment that we have got to address. But one of the there, there's someone in our in our chat room who's asking the question: What can community organizations do? One of the things that community organizations can do is adopt a theme that black lives matter Mm -hmm. and translate that into public policy, which means that you work at the local level, whether it's the county level or whether it's at the city level, whether it's at the state level. I mean, I live in a state where the governor of Massachusetts, who also happens to be a long, long term friend, who said publicly he's sick and tired of seeing black boys gunned down in the street. My question to him was, well, you're the governor. What are you going to do about it? What policy, legislative initiative have you made in regard to the state and federal funding that goes into police departments and what their policies should be. This woman just told us about her brother was hogtied, maced, and shot 15 times, and you get an autopsy which says that he had a heart attack. He died of a heart
6: attack, yes, yes.
4: That's criminal.
6: This This is a level of corruption, so you ask... Why does a Ferguson explode? It's just a microcosm, again, uh, of, of the the realities that are being faced. I mean, Absolutely. Listen, in Oregon, Janice, I was pulled over uh, about 13 times. So out of 11 or 12 years of living there, I could count on being pulled over at least once each year. And the majority mm-hmm. of it in the little rural town that I lived in.
2: Because mm-hmm.
6: whenever there was a visiting officer or state trooper that was filling in and saw me, I mean, they, they wanted to pull me over because they didn't think I had a seatbelt. Or once my wife was pulled over to be thanked for wearing a seatbelt. And mm-hmm. still now we need to see your license, registration. So this, when we talk about institutionalized disenfranchisement, okay, so we're 100% straight. But what about the person that maybe that's not the case? If we're constantly targeting a particular group, if you target them hundred times, there's a chance that out of the one, out of the 99, one out of the 99 times that you miss them, one of those times you're gonna get one out of the 100. You're going you may get them for something, you know.
4: Uh-huh. And uh-huh.
6: uh, and and so I mean, so <laughs> so I mean, these are the dynamics. These are the, the realities. Absolutely. That we face.
4: We're gonna to go to 404. You're on the air. I respect you. Thank you for your call. Oh, greetings to you, Janet. This is me, um, Sarah. Sarah, good to hear from you. We're with Dr. Um, <laughs> Tabidi Lewis. Hello, Are Dr. You um,
5: Lewis. Uh, not too bad, sir. Um, it's a pleasure to hear you on the phone, Janice. Um, I was listening in online, and then I decided to call in when this topic opened. And, of course, my condolences goes out to the sister that just got off the line in regards to her brother's situation. Uh Janet, um, you were speaking about this case of police brutality and the racial profiling. And the only way that we're going to get this matter corrected is that there has to be some sort of pain involved. And white people only react to it um, one or two ways, when when they're feeling pain and when their money is feeling funny. Those are the only two times that, that they react to certain things. And we're going to have to do something about that because sitting up here, belly aching, marching, um, walking around with our hands up—you know—to me, which is one of the most idiotic things that I've ever seen. Campaign, it's just going to show how we are so quick to get programmed and we do things without thinking. Walking around with our mm-hmm. hands up. Now, how can you mm-hmm. defend yourself? You walking around with your hands up? Um, um, don't shoot. Be- because it does not make sense, Janice, Because I can tell from my personal experience. Driving, um, driving in my in my vehicle, getting racially profiled, and it only happened about a couple summers ago. Uh, when we, when we, I went went down south with my husband from Louisiana, and I went down there because a niece of mine graduated from LSU, and I drove down there, um, to go to the graduation. It was seven of us in the SUV, and we were coming back from from the graduation, um, cookout at, from my in-laws, and we was me, my mother-in-law. My sister-in-law, her child, and my niece and my two nephews were in the SUV coming back. And all I was on one side of the road coming, um, coming up the road, and the cop was on the other side. All he saw was an SUV without a state tag with more than one blackhead in it. That sucker went all the way around, and made a U-turn, and came up behind me and followed, trailed my vehicle for almost um, two miles before he finally put on his flashlight, came up to the vehicle. Flashlights in hand, or was was two of them walking around the vehicle with flashlights looking in the back of the vehicle. My my nephews, they were passed out in the back sleeping, they felt the flashlight in their face and they woke up and know what the heck was going on. Flashlights in their face and the why finally they came up to me and said, Okay, class, these your, your license or registration And I gave it to them and they, you know, they looked it over, everything was fine, everything was in order. Gave it back to me, said oh, y'all be careful out there now. You know, this is the kind of insult that we get put up to, yes. and if people drive her, he—he he know there is not, not a damn thing wrong. Because if you trail me for two miles, you knew already. You ran my tags. You already know if the tags is a stolen vehicle, if insurance is on the car, if it's up to date, or what. He just wanted to. He, they just wanted to see some black people in this car, in this um, SUV, and they had to show their—they they, had to show their bullying ways but walking around shining flashlights, looking all up and down in, in, in the vehicle and everything, and they're going to tell me, oh, do you mind stepping, out, um, stepping to the back of the vehicle? I said, no, I'm going to stand to the front of the vehicle in front of your car because I'm not going behind my vehicle where there's no goddamn camera, but so this man to hit me upside my head
4: with a flashlight. Well, you know, Sarah, here, here's where we have to get to the answers. You're absolutely right. They have to feel the pain. And one of the things that we have proposed over the last four weeks on this broadcast is that every time a police is found guilty in a civil court or a criminal court or that the citizens should not have to pay for what that officer did. The damages damages should system. come out of his retirement fund mm-hmm. and, when, and the mm-hmm. if he doesn't have enough, then it should come out of the total retirement fund of all of the officers in the that police but department. But that policy.
6: That's the kind of
4: policy that's legislation what I'm talking about.
6: that then puts pressure on our elected officials to either that's respond what I'm talking to that about. And, and again, mm-hmm. it comes from knowing you know, how to filibuster them because, yes. you know, when they get enough phone calls and postcards regarding what, we, what you're requesting of them on particular issues, they you know, they're forced to respond to that. There's, so there's
4: another public policy that ought to take place, too, and that is on the federal level that the federal government ought to keep a data bank. Of all police officers who have been terminated for cause from a police department, and there should be some kind of uh, regulation at the local level that says you can't hire a police officer when they have been fired at another police department for misconduct. Mm-hmm. But that's not only
5: injustice. You know what a lot of these officers did, like you were talking about this and, and lieutenant who was um, who decided to resign. If you resign, you have a clean jacket. Now, you can take your resignation and go to another department, go to the Thank sheriff's you. department, Thank you. state trooper, and you could get hired because instead of you knowing that's that you're going to be fired, you just go, you put your, res- your resignation in real that's quick, right. and then I'll wait 90 days, and you go on over to another department, and
4: they go ahead that's and they right. hire you. That's because right. This, this, and that's why top, we have got to be vigilant at the local level.
3: Yeah, right.
6: There's sort of legislative action as well as pragmatic things. Right. I mean, for right. example, I mean I always ask for a business card. As soon as they pull up come up to the window, they ask for my license, I say I will also need your business card. Okay, that's number one. So now you're thinking about what are you gonna do next? Because I'm requesting it and if they refuse then I you know, that becomes another question regarding are you refusing that you know I always think about I remember interviewing the poet Haki Matabuti uh, about five years ago and we were just talking about you know how do black men arm themselves for dealing with the police and Haki who has a great sense of humor says look every young and not even just young black men but black people of color need to have always at least he said they need to have three things they need to have um, an ACLU card so that when they pull them over and ask, what is that? You say, that's my ACLU card, and, you know, here's my attorney, and they're going to be interested in how you're violating my rights. You say, everybody should have a copy of the Constitution. So when they say, what's that in my pocket? You say, that's a copy of the Constitution. I know my rights. You're violating them. (laughs) And they have a library card. So you say, well, Mm -hmm. I'm an avid reader. And so those are the things that the police officer at least has some sense their response will be, "Let me think a couple of times before That's right. I proceed with this particular mm-hmm. individual."
4: Mm-hmm. But you
6: and must you so. know.
5: It's not only go that ahead, Sarah. Thing, it's, um, oh, excuse me, I don't mean to interrupt you. But what I'm you is that it's have all, all of those cards, the you your your attorney's um, information, and at least be somewhat versed in basic law as it pertains to the state that you're driving through as far as getting pulled over. But, you see, we're the only need, need, need the people who need to have a, a first- or second-year law degree in order to drive. Because white <laughs> people get behind their car and they don't have to be concerned, you know, with, 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 not, with knowing all of, all of these, these types of things before you get behind
3: the car. It's <laughs> ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs>
4: but, but, you know, uh, the other thing that we have to always carry, you know, when I think about the times that we're living in now, it's different from the times when I lived in Brookline, Massachusetts, and every time I pulled out of my driveway in my huge Mercedes, I would look in my rearview mirror and there would be a Brookline police car. So, after about uh 4 weeks of this, I tired, I drove, I let him, let the police car Follow me to the police department in this very mm-hmm. upper scale community. I parked, I went in, and you know how they have all these little contain little things on the on the desk, the counter. I took my mm-hmm. arm and I swept everything off, and I said, "I want to know why every time." I drive in this community where I pay taxes, where I live, and I own a home. I want to know why I am followed. Is it my brown Mercedes? Is it my hairdo? Or is it the fact that I will sue the shit out of you if it doesn't desist immediately? Well, in this, I would have been arrested in this environment. This was years and years ago. But mm-hmm. at some point, as as Mr. Clark said... Maybe shot. <laughs> yes, that's right. Um, you know, at, at some point, we have got to decide that we have responsibility to change this where we stand. It's that's very true, good Dad. to... It's very good to sit in the TV and watch all the people in, in Ferguson or get on an airplane and go to Ferguson for two days uh, or whatever, but until we start changing it where we live, until we start changing it in the minds of the people who walk the streets and drive the streets Where we live, it will not change. And I will guarantee you there will be another Michael Brown in the next six months. Less than that, Jen,
5: because we only have to look and see, Jen. And and people always say, okay, you need to vote, you you need to get a black person in there. But to me, I'm looking around at our circumstances, and I'm seeing that when we have all of these black elected officials, their hands are pretty much tied as to what it is that they can do. Because, yep. as per se, this is a majority on um, black town, over, over three-quarters on um, black. But the police, they're, they're being policed. The mayor is white. The police chief is white. To have a dixie crash
4: for a governor,
5: you know. Because the
4: government, talk... the government there is for the people who are in the 1% of the economy. Mm-hmm. That's what the government is there for. And these black people, these poor people, they are not even incidental to the government. Not, not only you know, that, Dan, I, but- I have a lot of people who call me, email me, and one of my good friends who is saying, well, you know, it's 47% of the people who live in Ferguson, 67% of the people, they're black and only 12% voted. Vote for oh. what? Exactly. That's
5: the same thing I'm saying. Vote for what? Because all because they are going to get the same
4: thing. They're going to exactly. get the same thing no matter what they vote for. Hell, we go out and vote, and we don't get anything different. Exactly, Janice, because that's the same thing that
5: I'm saying. I, I, I look at our circumstances here, Janice, as a people. And we have gotten some of the worst treatment under a Democratic administration. When you look at from Alabama with Dr. King, Mississippi, Arkansas. Um, to, to Georgia, to South Carolina You, you can name it you, go, you can go all the way back to the 1800s All the way up to the forward These damn Democrats and Everybody always likes to say you need to vote Democrat We've gotten some of the
4: worst treatment On these Democratic governors and the state senators And it, everything it,
3: else
4: I have been saying, Sarah, you know uh, uh, Tabidi, you know I have been saying We have got to stop worrying about a system That system is We cannot change it It will not be moved, and if we don't begin to create our own system, begin to think about how we educate our children, how we feed ourselves, how we house ourselves, where we live, nothing is going to change while we're trying to have some kind of national movement. Those tanks are going nowhere. Exactly. Sarah, Janice, i got to go because I'm, you yes, always ma'am. call in the second page. But yes, ma'am. I, I'm, 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 I thank I'm, you ma'am. for your call. And, and, you're, and you're absolutely right that what happened in Ferguson is going to happen again. It has happened before. Absolutely Well, you right. know, it's
6: interesting. I was researching the uh, requirements for, just for example, being a um, a state uh, a county police officer, and um, you know there are some small impediments, and one of them being you know as long as you don't have a felony uh, against you, you can proceed toward the academy. But but given the way the policing takes uh, occurs, uh, particularly you know I think throughout the country, but in many of the in regions like this. Um, Quite frankly, there's, a, there's a, pretty much a systematic disenfranchisement for, for qualifying, perhaps,
3: mm-hmm. for that. Mm-hmm.
6: Uh, if you, particularly mm-hmm. if you're, you know, sort of pulled on yep. some petty scenario, right, mm-hmm. that uh, puts you in a, in a rough spot. And even if you, don't, t- if you don't, if you just have misdemeanors uh, that, again, are at the discretion of this sort of heavy policing, then, you know, quite frankly... There's still a, bo- a group that has to decide, even if you pass the physical and pass the test. I mean, because there are a lot of people you have to say, okay, if they if you wanted to increase that police force, say they don't have any any criminal record, et cetera, and if they still have to pass the, the, a test that's given to them, you know, and then they have to get past the board or, or that it gives admittance to the police uh, academy. Yeah, and then yeah. once that occurs, guess what? You have to have insurance that will, your own health insurance that will cover you for the six weeks of the training. So there are a lot of little things that will undermine the uh, yes. possibility or yep. given what, you know, what individual um, economic or social status may be. Go ahead.
4: We've got to think about Ferguson and St. Louis in the, in the, in the, in the context of our own communities. What would we change? What is happening there that can happen here? What is happening? What, what are the circumstances there that are circumstances here? And begin to look at what is the power system and who is in charge? Where, where should the discourse be? Where should the dialogue be? And like James Clark reminded us, we've got to start loving each other. We've got to stop mm-hmm. complaining about how... Them over there are not like me over here.
6: Mm-hmm. Instead you need to repeat of,
4: that because that's very <laughs> important. Them over there are not like me over here. We have got to understand that the man who sags, and, and, and I, that's a whole other thing about the sagging and Michael Brown and how he couldn't run because he was sagging. Uh, but we've got to stop judging and start lifting up. And if we don't begin to do that, nothing else that you do will count. To Beatty Lewis, thank you so much for joining us. Um, I do have to tell you that one of the first trips that I took as a youngster, as a teenager by myself, was to St. Louis to um uh, to see Little Stevie Wonder,
3: <laughs>
4: <laughs> I took a train from West Palm Beach all the way to St. Louis, Missouri, to see <laughs> Little all by myself. And I met John Lewis on that tra- on that trip. Um, oh wow! Yeah, yeah. John Lewis was a uh, a young adult, and I was a teenager. And he signed my pink poodle. Autograph book (laughs) that i bought because i never could get little stevie wonder to sign it thank you so much for being with us and we hope you'll have us uh, you'll you'll join us uh in another discussion about these critical critical issues
6: well thank you for having me it's a pleasure
4: dr tabiti lewis is his name and if you have not read his book that is just a wonderful book he was with us uh, uh right before the publication and then he came back to talk with us about the book it is the ballers of the new school race and gender in america and you must pick it up uh james clark uh with us from the better life family Life, uh, Inc. Community Centers Network of St. Louis, and uh, we will pick up um, State Senator Jamila Nasheed uh, at another time. We really do thank you for being with us tonight. We've only got a few minutes, and I want to cover some things with you. Don't forget to Follow us on Facebook. Uh, We're getting ready to do some major, major things um, at Our Common Ground, and we need to have as many subscribers to our Facebook page and to our Twitter page because, you know, funders now look at that kind of thing. Uh, No, we're not looking for corporate funding, but we're looking to do something uh, around building our listenership. And in order to do it, we've got to get – We've got to be able to present ourselves in a way. We're here each Saturday night, 10 p.m. Uh, subscribe to our ourcommonground talkningcom com um, newsletter so that you can get information about our programming. But we do want to encourage you about two things tonight. Dr. Julia here is a very dear and beloved friend, not only. A personal friend of mine, but she has she and her husband, Dr. Nathan Hare, have been um, bulwarks, pillars of our understanding of ourselves and our need for strategies for liberation and Many of you may not know, but Dr. Julia Hare is in the fourth stage of alzheimer's and Dr. Hare has made a commitment to love her at home. And we'd like to ask you to um, donate to these two people who have given their entire lives to black people at um, LetFreedomRingFundMe.com. Let Freedom Ring for Dr. Julia Hare. Dr. Nathan Hare has committed not to allow her to go into a nursing home. And he is struggling to keep her at home. So help us out. Um, know other people that I know who are more worthy. We'll see you next Saturday night. Thank you for being with us here at Our Common Ground. We appreciate Dr. Tabiti Lewis, James Clark, for joining us, and your calls Um Miss Jones and Sarah from Texas. Gonna a like we are Going up our heads, don't shoot
3: us. Like we are we got, we are we got. God ain't on the earth to get mine, it's God ain't on the earth to get mine, it's murder. Put
2: your at me. tired of the okie-dokie, you lying, you Pinocchio, driving wild black, tell me where am I supposed to go, gunshots hit the car, now I got the Holy Ghost, excessive force was a drug, then they overdosed, got us trying to protest, it's a slow process, heard it's a lot of rotten eggs in the crow's nest, people praying on their feet, police holding on with heat, turned on the news and seen a tank rolling yeah, down the I street. a lot of ice.
4: Thank you for joining us tonight at Our Common Ground. Please let your friends know that we are here each Saturday, 10 p.m., speaking truth to power and ourselves. We're not serious with an I and an X. We are serious with an I to liberation. I'm Janice Graham, and we appreciate your support and your listenership. Our Common Ground. The sanctuary for Black truth.
3: So I'm not asking you for the truth. I know the truth.
2: I know enough. So what I'm asking you is, what is your in game?
4: This is our common ground. Broadcasting bold, brave, and Black.